Rising Church, so glad you guys are here. And for those watching online, Alex and Darby are well on vacation. Hope they have a good time up off the grid with no cell phones, no TVs, uh, no Fortnite for Alex when he loves his video games. Uh, but uh, hope they get the rest and relaxation that they need. Uh, Alex started a series called Hope, and um, I was really apprehensive about speaking this message because uh, hope is a powerful word. Sometimes I think of hope as like a four-letter word, and it could be a positive thing or a, ne or a negative thing. Hope is a word that has a lot of weight, um, as much weight as many other four-letter words. But other than those words that have become into your mind, um, you think of different words like love or hate, fear, and life. Um, we often live in that tension. We want hope, but life gets in the way, and... Um, I drive to school in the morning with Clayton, go down Kelly Drive to Fairmount. Um, I always put sports talk radio on. Um, and there's this commercial that always comes on about Ruciano Roofing. <laughs> like, they, like this, they open up this commercial with, hoop is not a strategy, you know, how is your roof, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I heard that phrase numerous times, hope is not a strategy. And I was trying to research who said it, but there really is... Uh, no person that um, really coined it. It's just kind of been this quote that's kind of been passed along. Uh, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani said it in a presidential campaign. Uh, James Cameron, one of the most famous directors, Titanic and Avatar. Um, he made t-shirts for his like production crew uh, that hope is not a strategy. And um, it was in this weird sports talk commercial about the Ruchiana roofing. Um, and I almost didn't want to preach this message because uh, hope was something I used to really believe in, uh, but it's something that really became dashed and crushed when I was planning a church. Uh, the name of our church was Valley Community Church, and our tagline was, find hope in the valley. And I was like this super pessimistic church planner, we're going to do amazing things and reach amazing people, and it's going to blow up and be amazing. Um, but it was like just steady going little by little, little by little, and there was a lot of good things that happened, a lot of frustrating things that happened, um, and it almost made me like want to give up on hope. Because I think with hope, um, sometimes we don't want to hope because of the disappointments that we've had, the things that work out the way we wanted to. Um, but one of my favorite movies, Rogue One, has a quote, and it says, Rebellions, rebellions are built on hope. And it's so interesting because my brother hates this movie. He's like, it's so dark, dude. Like, how do you like this movie? It's so dark. And I was like, I know it is dark, but the people in it um, really bring hope and light to a dark place. And this quote is from the main protagonist, who happens to be a female. Shout out to female protagonists. And um, I love it because hope is in people. It's not in things. Uh, it's not in places. Um, we place our hope in God, and God places his hope in us. And um, she never gave up. She never lost hope. Rebellions are built on hope. And hope is something that you don't need. Hope is something that you already have. And I think sometimes we get distracted or we lose focus of what's already been given to us, what's already um, in us. And I think life wants to get us distracted, distracted and focus from that. And I want to share a story about a person in the Bible who's very popular, one of the most popular 
the messages in the Bible, who this person had hope when everyone else saw this person as hopeless, um, a castaway, an outcast. Um, no one believed in this person but themselves and God. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in one of those situations where you feel like the world's against you, maybe the things that people have said about you, um, you start to identify and believe, even if they're wrong, um, because this is what's your environment. You're like, if everyone's saying it, then it must be true. But it's not. And this person didn't let the labels and the false uh, accusations derail this person and help this person lose hope. This person is David. And this is a little setup before David fought alive in first seventeen and first uh, Samuel seventeen twenty, when no one wanted to play Goliath, but David did. So first Samuel seventeen twenty says this. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him, because all of his brothers went to go fight this Philistine to fight in his battle. David was a shepherd and he stayed home to watch the animals, and he wasn't even asked to go. But his dad said, you need to go and send them lunch. you got to go do it. So David did. Soon the Israelites and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. Um, he arrived at the camp just as the Israel army was leaving the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. So picture this. Here's David bringing food. All right, here's this battle with this Philistine. He's like calling Israel out. And as David arrives, everyone's leaving. I mean, just picture this. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies. Shout out to the keeper of the supplies, not named, but shout out to the keeper. And hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was walking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. Uh, as soon as the Israel army saw him, they began to run away in fright. So if David didn't show up straight away, they would have lost. Just him showing up was already one win in this battle. Sometimes we think like we need to do these amazing things for God to do amazing things in and through us, but sometimes we just need to show up. It's like the gym. You don't want to go. You know, you don't feel like going, but the gym is like half the battle is just showing up, right? And then you're like, oh, this is why I came here. Um, have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day, 40 days, to defy Israel. Now this is the interesting thing. Um, when we think of the Old Testament, we think of this barbaric book, this barbaric account of like how awful wars were and how awful God was, and just just like this uncivilized time. Where the really interesting about how they did battle in this situation, they would send out their best men, their best man. One army would send out their best man. The other army would send out their best man, and whoever won, the battle was over. I mean, you think about it, how many lives were saved just by each army sending one person. That's pretty amazing, and that doesn't really get talked about a lot, but this was a really ethical way to do battle. And so the Philistines sent out Goliath. He was massive, he was the tallest guy um, in the land, 6'9", almost over 7 feet. Um, and Saul was supposed to be that person, because he was the tallest Israelite, but Saul is nowhere to be seen right now. The king had offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He would give a man his daughter, for a wife, and the man's entire family would be exempted from paying taxes. The emphasis was not so much the daughter, but the not paying taxes, which again just shows you the context of the day, um, where just what their focus was on, and a lot different these days. But pack, but taxes are still a thing. Um, David asked the soldier, "Stay in your body. What's this man get for killing this Philistine and ending this defiance of Israel? 
Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to fight armies of the living God for these 40 days, right? And it's interesting because, like, they told him what was their war, but David still felt like there was something more going on. You never just sometimes feel like there's a sense in you that there's more to the story, there's more than what you just see. Um, trust that. Even though there was this reward, there was more going on in this situation than just a reward for killing this giant. Uh, and so, who is this pagan Philistine anyway? And how is he allowed to defend these armies of the living God? All these men gave David the same reply. Yes, that is a reward for killing him. But when David's older brother Elab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride in the sea. You just want to see the battle. So the person closest to David didn't believe in him at all. Didn't even validate him. Didn't even see him as a successful shepherd. You know, sometimes the people that are closest to us can hurt us the most. And sometimes the people that are closest to us um, have a hard time seeing who we really are and accepting us for who we really are. Um, but that shouldn't stop us from being who we are. We shouldn't live for other people. We should live the way God made us to live and be the people that God made us to be. Because if David took the advice of his family, he would have left. You're like, you're right. What am I doing here? I'm a horrible shepherd. But he wasn't. Don't believe those things that are said to you, even if it's people that are closest to you, a boss, a family member, um, a relative. Just because someone says it doesn't mean it's true. It's certainly not the case with David. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others who asked him the same thing and received the same answer. Then this is interesting. It was David's question that was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Sometimes just asking the right question is better than having all the answers. And what moved this story along was just David's enthusiasm and his ability to just take, to not take no for an answer. Um, question. Don't be afraid to question. Don't be afraid to follow that little like thing inside you that says, maybe I should say something. Maybe I should do something. Because it will get noticed. Um, and don't question like your perspective either. There's validity in that. Even though everyone was saying one thing, David seemed like what he was saying was ridiculous. But his questions got the attention of the king. Um, it reminds me of uh, Ford Motor Company when the car collapse was happening in the early aughts and car companies were losing money hand over fist with the collapse of the economy. And Ford's CEO, they just hired a new CEO named Alan Mullay. And he was different. He wasn't like a typical like um, CEO or just very like male chauvinistic and all those kind of things. He had a different perspective. And he had a different attitude. And he was positive and he smiled a lot. Smiling a lot when everything around you is going downhill. And they and a reporter called him the cheerleader in chief. I mean, so you think about this. Here's this like auto industry where it's like bravado and like male leadership and trying to see who's like the biggest guy and all this kind of stuff. And then he gets called the cheerleader in chief. And you would think that that would like derail him and kind of cause him to be like, I'm trying to change this, this, I'm trying to change things around here. I'm trying to be positive. But they're calling me a cheerleader instead of a CEO. Like, that can be really deflating. But this is how he took it when, when uh, a reporter asked him how he felt about this nickname. You know, sometimes 
you know, we don't get to choose nicknames. Um, nicknames are given to us, but I think it's like how we can embrace sometimes negativity and turn it into a positive. And that's exactly what Alan did, not just for this nickname that he got, but for the whole Ford Motor Company. He completely turned the whole organization around and turned a loss into a profit. But when they asked him how he felt about this title, cheerleader in chief, um, insulting him just like David's brothers were insulting him, this is how he responded. He said, are you kidding me? He said, I love that title. There's no more important job that I have as a CEO than to inspire people. Folks here have been down so long, they've forgotten which way is up. If we're going to revive this company, I first need to restore hope in its employees. The point is not to be like unreasonably optimistic. And the point isn't just to be positive all the time. Then the hope wasn't in cars, it wasn't in a marketing strategy. His hope was in people. Alan Molay helped the people see what was already there. He didn't fire anyone, he just believed in them. Um, and the goal is not to be Alan Molay, like, I just need to be like a super optimistic person, it's not the point. The point is that he was not afraid to be himself. Don't be afraid to be you, because the goal is to be the person that God made you to be. If David was different, and like his other brothers, Israel never would have been saved. And he never would have been promoted to a place a position of leadership. Hope is something you already have. You already have what you need. Just walk in it, live in it, and don't let others stop you. And don't let others put things on you that are not you. You know what I'm talking about? You probably think of some people that like love to put things on you. Say you're this, say you're that. And when you try and step it up and you're like, no, no, that's not really you. But it is you. They did the same thing to David when they tried to put something on him that really wasn't him. The king actually did this. The story goes on in 1 Samuel 17, 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. <laughs> Here's how the king replied. Don't be so ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine possibly woman. You're only a boy. And he's a man of war since his youth. You know, again, here's another insult. You know, this cheerleader, you know, um, this cheerleader in chief, you're just this boy. But David persisted. May we not be afraid to persist. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb of the flock, I go after it. And I club it and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If an animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it. I've done this both to lions and bears. Oh my. Uh, that's me. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he's defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of a lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David knew who he was. Don't be afraid to continue to live out who you are. Even if people tell you that's not who you are, they're just opinions and they're just voices. Walk in that. Everything you've been through has shaped you to be you for this moment. And this moment matters, and what you've been through is not wasted. Saul finally consented. All right, then, go ahead, he said. May the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mall. David put it on, strapped a sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such things before. And this is how David responded. I can't go in these. He protested, so I'm not used to this. So David took off the king's armor. I love that. Like, what, a, what an image. How many times people say, you're this, you're not that. And they try to put their expectations on you. Be you. 
be you and take off that armor. And here's an interesting thing. Saul was supposed to fight in that army and, and to fight that battle. And he gave his, his armor to David. Sometimes people put things on you because they want to manipulate you and have their own agenda. If David wore his armor, Saul would have gotten the credit, not David. You know, sometimes we need to be wise and understand that when people are trying to put stuff on us, sometimes they don't have our best interests apart. So don't be afraid to say that. Be like, that's not who I am. Um, David was confident in who he was, and that Pope was able to really help him win the day. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and them in a shepherd's bag. And then armed only with the shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. You just picture this, like, shepherd boy with, like, this sling and no splint and no armor against this massively armored person. Um, he knew who he was, and he wasn't afraid to step out. I like this, I like this quote from Mr. Rogers, and that kind of goes along with this idea that the hope that's inside of us, and our job is just to really help others see what's already there. Mr. Rogers says this, As human beings, our job in life is to help people realize how rare and valuable each one of us is. That each one of us is something that no one else has or ever will. Something inside of us that's unique to us all the time. It's our job to encourage others to discover that uniqueness and to provide ways to develop its expression. You know, I love that. One of the things I love with Mr. Rogers is always about talking about embracing who you are. I love you. Be you. And David, if he was someone else, wouldn't have won the battle. There are certain battles that you need to win just by being you and sticking to who you are. Hope is something that you already have. And I'm not going to go into the whole battle that David Live. We've been there. We've read that story. And it's so popular. But I want to Break it down from a, from a perspective from Malcolm Gladwell. He wrote a book called David and Goliath. Um, he's like a futurist. He wrote a book called The Tipping Point, one of my favorite books. And he talks about how David wasn't an underdog. David was underestimated. And maybe sometimes people in their own underestimate you. And there's so much more to you than meets the eye. Let's break it down. Goliath couldn't see. He was six foot nine, almost seven feet tall. The tallest. Uh, Philistine, supposed to fight the tallest Israelite, Saul. But they said that Goliath could have had acromomically, which is a condition that when you're so tall, your vision goes. And so even though he was this tall, muscular, imposing figure, if David battled him the way he was supposed to, the way Saul wanted him to, he would have lost because he was invisible. The fact that he didn't wear his armor was an, was an advantage because he wasn't able to be seen as easily because Goliath had a problem seeing. How interesting is that? Second thing, Goliath was powerful, but also powerless. David was the only person in the story who realized that heavy armor weighs a warrior down, and Goliath could easily kill David with a sword if David was only full enough to run up and fight him with that armor. He knew that his, that his advantage was just being him, fast, small, and nimble. He didn't have to do things the way other people did. And here's another thing which is interesting. The slingshot. A lot of times when you think of a slingshot, you think of like a toy, something you get at five below, like how can this thing be a weapon? But the slingshot was like a sniper weapon of the day. They say that slingshots in that era uh, would, would have the firepower of a 45 caliber handgun. 
So if you think about that, this is an accurate and extremely deadly weapon. So the next time you hear David versus Goliath's story, don't think about an underdog. Think of a competent competitor who is more than happy to be underestimated. Sometimes when we go through challenges and go through things in life, um, let people underestimate you. And maybe you can have the last, the last laugh, the last word. David was able to have hope in God because David, because God had hope in David. And God has hope in you. Every obstacle David had when no one was watching prepared him to overcome a battle when everyone could see. You know, it, it makes me, it reminds me, um, this year I got hired as a new job as a teacher at the city school. And for the past year I was looking for a new job, and we're seeing a company one, like, play or whatever, we can send it on, like, another, we can sing that song again or whatever. But, um, I was feeling that pull to, like, find a new job, and so I started, like, the process of, like, getting my resume out and doing all that, which is, like, extremely intimidating because every time I put your resume out, it's, like, another opportunity to be rejected, and I got rejected numerous times, and it was, like, I was starting to get frustrated because I spent most of my life as a pastor and just became a teacher a few years ago, and the last rejection, like, really hurt me because I really wanted to be at this school, and I just kept thinking, like, I just went to education first and not become a pastor, and then I would be a teacher now and make so much more money and I'd be able to do this and do that. And I was getting so frustrated because I was looking back and I was saying, oh, I wish I could have done this. I wish I didn't do that. And if I'd only been smarter, if I'd only been wiser, and if I'd just made better decisions, I'd be in a better position now. And then I recently got hired at a new school. And um, it's a great school. It's, it's, it's He's like, he's 